Welcome to the Head to Heal podcast, where you'll go head over heels learning about how the body and the brain work together to either feed disease or fight it. I'm your host, Jordana Sade, certified holistic nutritionist and founder of the Mindful Clinic. With a background in nutrition, behavioral neuropsychology, and hypnosis, I'm going to walk you through the root cause of your symptoms and disordered behaviors. The body has an innate ability to heal. No one is destined for illness, and most, if not all, disorders can be reversed. Come with me as we develop a new understanding of how you can use your head to heal and truly thrive. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Head to Heal podcast. I'm your host, Jordana Sade, certified holistic nutritionist, hypnotherapist, and founder of the Mindful Clinic. As always, I want to start off this episode by saying that I am not a medical doctor and you should always seek help from a physician before beginning any new health regime. Okay, guys, today I'm going to talk about a topic that I've personally been researching for the past couple months and really wanted to share it with my audience because I feel like some of you mamas or just even females in general can really resonate with this. Men, it might apply to you, but mostly I'm talking to my female or women population here. Okay. So what I really want to talk about today is cellulite and how it develops and what it really is and why some people are more susceptible to developing cellulite than others, which is why, you know, women are significantly more susceptible to developing cellulite than men. So this one might not be so much for the men, for the males here, but anyways, I wanted to talk about what exactly it is and how we get it and then some possible treatments to kind of overcome it because While cellulite is obviously not the most desirable thing, a lot of the time we relate cellulite to being overweight, but there are actually a lot of people who are overweight who do not develop cellulite. So like, what is going on here, right? And there are a lot of, you know, males that are overweight that don't have the appearance of cellulite. And there are a lot of people who are extremely fit and healthy and they still have cellulite. So cellulite actually has very little to do with weight gain. I mean, there is a component in there, of course, but I'm going to talk about exactly what cellulite is and then what we can do to mitigate the appearance of cellulite. Because at the end of the day, unfortunately, this is one of those things where unless you're going to do some extreme surgery, you're not really going to fully get rid of cellulite altogether, but you can reduce the appearance of it, especially on the outer layer of your skin. So this would be for some people, you know, you might not look like you have cellulite, but then when you pinch your skin, you might still be able to see it. Okay. So let's start from the very beginning. So what is cellulite really? So if you could see me right now, you'd see that I'm painting a picture here using my hands, but I want you to just try and use your imagination. So in the skin, we have all these different layers of skin, and then we have like a layer of fat tissue, and then we have a layer of muscle. And so the muscle is kind of the thing that is technically closest to the bone. And so if we have that layer of muscle, we have these like connective tissue cords that go up and kind of overlap or circle in adipose tissue. So it's like the layer in between each fat cell. Okay. So these connective cords are called, are called fibrous connective cords, and they basically tether the skin that's underlying the muscle together with the fat kind of lying in between. So as the fat cells accumulate, the fat cells are going to fill up with fat, right? So we all have a set amount of fat cells. Your fat cells either fill up or they deflate. That's how it works. So as the fat cells accumulate and grow, they're going to push up against this like connective fibrous cord. And as they push up against the skin, the cord is going to kind of pull down because it's this like 
fibrous tissue. So if this fibrous cord connective tissue is very tight and not super flexible, it's going to pull down on the top layer of skin and the fat cell is going to continue to pull up on the layer of skin. So it's gonna create this kind of dimpled effect. And I really wish you guys could see, could see me right now because you would know exactly what I'm talking about. But essentially, we have the layer of skin, we have this like connective cord, it's pulling down on the layer of skin to make it kind of dimple. And then the fat cell is in between. So that's what's creating the bump, okay? So this is inevitable. We all have these fibrous connective cords. What determines whether or not you have cellulite is, is twofold, okay? So it's how full that adipose tissue or fat cell is. So that's where the weight gain comes into play. But then it's also the tethering or how tight the connective cord is. So in somebody's body who's super healthy, who's not showing any you know cellulite tendencies, that fibrous connective cord is going to be very fluid. It's going to have a lot more flexibility within it. And so if we think about what this connective cord really is, like this is skin tissue. And so the things that are going to determine whether or not we are more likely to expose cellulite or more li likely to show cellulite is really due, due to the flexibility of this cord. And so how do we make it more flexible? We're going to get into that in a second. So let's talk a little bit about a few risk factors and why women versus men. So cellulite is much more common in women than men. And most women develop cellulite after puberty. And this is because the woman's fat is typically distributed in the hips and thighs and buttocks. And this is actually because of a hormone called estrogen. And we're going to talk about how that relates to it a little bit later on. But essentially, women actually tend to have more subcutaneous fat, whereas men tend to have more visceral fat. And this is all because of estrogen. So subcutaneous fat is the fat that's under the layer of skin. It's the fat that's like kind of cushiony. You can visibly see it. The visceral fat is the fat that happens around our organs. It's a lot more dangerous. So the visceral fat is what leads to things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, all that stuff, all of the chronic conditions. But Subcutaneous fat is pretty harmless other than like it's it's not desirable. And it's really estrogen that determines whether we have subcutaneous fat or visceral fat. So visceral fat looks like, if you've ever seen a, a male, I'm gonna say a male with a beer belly, but I am definitely stereotyping here. But if you've ever seen a really large belly, that's like, it's, it's really large, but it's very tight. And it looks like a balloon that's ready to pop. So that is a really good picture of what visceral fat looks like. It's under the organ. It's not squishy. Whereas if you think about a woman who might be overweight and you think about a weight gain in kind of the cellulite in the butt area, it's squishy. It's at the top layer of the skin. Okay. So the visceral fat is never going to lead to like cellulite expression because it's happening within the organs, which means it's happening underneath the layer of the muscle versus the subcutaneous fat, which is on top of the muscle, which is going to actually fill up those adipose tissue cells and pull down on that fibrous connective cord. Okay, so cellulite is also much more common with aging because the skin is gonna lose its elasticity. And so this kind of points to the first way that we can kind of treat cellulite because we are going to really focus on getting that skin's elasticity back. Weight gain can obviously make cellulite more noticeable because we're gonna be filling up the fat cell or reducing it or deflating it. But as I mentioned before, lean people also have cellulite and it tends to run in families. So genetics might play a role in this. I mean, I don't know any specific gene that's going to play a role in this, but I think that the way that genetics play a role is your mother's hormonal regulation during pregnancy and what she passes down onto you and then which genes are expressed in the sense of how the skin behaves. 
Okay. And obviously things like having an inactive lifestyle is going to increase your chances of having, having cellulite also in pregnancy, which is what led me down the rabbit hole of cellulite. Okay. So when I started my pregnancy and there are going to be a few podcasts talking about my pregnancy and, you know, post pregnancy, postpartum weight gain and stubborn weight and all that stuff. So I'm not going to get too much into it here, but when I first got pregnant, I noticed that most of my weight gain was really in my tummy. Like I still felt pretty fit and I just had this little baby bump and it was super cute. And then kind of half around my halfway mark, things really started to change for my pregnancy. So I started to notice like an, um, an immense amount of cellulite on my ass and my thighs. And you know, my thighs have always been a little bit larger than my upper body. Like that's definitely where I have tended to hold weight in my, in the past, but it, this was way more than I had ever seen. And it just kept going and going, going. It didn't matter what I ate. It didn't matter how healthy I was. It just kept accumulating. And I was like, <laughs> kind of just pushing it to the back burner. Like this is something I'm going to worry about after pregnancy. Cause there's no point in doing anything now, but it really made me curious as to like, what is really happening here? So we're going to talk about when we talk about the hormone estrogen, why this happens in pregnancy, but Anyways, if you have an inactive lifestyle or you're pregnant, it's going to affect the way that the fat cells are communicating and expressing themselves. So why women versus men? Well, first of all, it's the distribution of fat cells and connective tissue. So this, it goes back to the subcutaneous versus the visceral fat. So estrogen is this hormone that women, both women and men have estrogen. It's just that men have a much less amount of estrogen and women tend to be more estrogen dominant. Men can also be estrogen dominant. So let's not completely cancel that out, but women tend to have more estrogen and we actually can be in an estrogen dominant situation, even if estrogen is still within the normal range, because what makes us estrogen dominant is its relationship to progesterone. And so if progesterone is really low, even if estrogen is within the normal range, you can still be estrogen dominant if it's higher than progesterone at certain times of the month. So progesterone is really important to understand because progesterone is a hormone that can actually convert to testosterone or cortisol. So here's one of the first risk, risk factors that leads to this estrogen dominant situation and can actually enhance your ability to develop cellulite. If you're somebody who has a lot of stress in your life or who favors that cortisol pathway, progesterone is going to turn into cortisol instead of testosterone, and it's going to be used up more frequently, which means that it's going to be lower and you're going to be estrogen dominant. So this a really key indication of this is happening to you is you have a really low libido and you have stubborn weight. Okay. So those are two signs. So now we're in this estrogen dominant situation. What estrogen really does is estrogen is actually a really protective hormone. So estrogen is going to protect the women because estrogen is the main hormone. Estrogen and progesterone is the main hormone that we need to reproduce. So estrogen is going to like basically signal to the body that the woman has to, you know, uh, take care of herself and another child. So that's why estrogen is very fat building because it's going to signal to the cells to hold on to everything because we're trying to nurture and nourish not only ourselves, but another being. So when estrogen is high, like I said, it's, it's a protective hormone. It's actually going to shuttle fat from visceral to subcutaneous. So this is why women tend to have more subcutaneous weight. It's because of estrogen, which is actually kind of a good thing because we don't want visceral fat. Like estrogen is protecting us from having that visceral fat that leads to chronic and metabolic disorders. And instead it's taking that fat and it's shuttling it to subcutaneous fat, which is like great for chronic conditions, not so great for cellular. 
ovulate, okay? So this is actually what was happening in my second half of uh, pregnancy, because in the first half of pregnancy, progesterone is super, super, super high. This is like what signals, this is why when you pee on the stick, it says you're pregnant, we're testing progesterone. We're, we're really t testing HEG levels, but anyways. Progesterone is super, super, super high, and then about halfway through the pregnancy, progesterone starts to decrease and estrogen starts to take over, and right before you give birth, estrogen's right at its highest peak. Okay. And so for some women, when they give birth, first of all, immediately for all women, as soon as they give birth, progesterone is gone. Progesterone's like, see you later, dips right back down to normal levels. Estrogen though, continues to increase in some women and keeps increasing. And this is where we get into this postpartum stubborn weight. And this is why when some women, after they have the baby, they lose weight really easily. And then others in my practice, they're like, you know, I've never really lost the weight since I had my last child. I hear that all the time. And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's just do a detox. But now I'm like, I fucking understand. <laughs> like I totally understand what's going on now, which is going to be really great for all you mamas who want to get rid of that stubborn weight, because I'm actually doing these protocols now with myself. It's very exciting. So Anyways, so we have progesterone gone. Estrogen is either going to go back to normal range, which typically happens when you get your first period after pregnancy, or it's going to continue to rise. And this is when we get in this estrogen dominant situation. And this is why it's really, really, really hard to lose weight. So in the second half of my pregnancy, the reason why I saw more of that subcutaneous fat is because my body was like, first of all, we're taking care of you and we're taking care of another being that's inside of you. So we're not focusing on weight loss. Like we're not burning any fat. we actually want to build up the fat cells so we can use that stored energy as nourishment and nutrient for later. And so it's pushing all this visceral fat to subcutaneous fat. My body's literally holding on to everything. And then we start to see that rippled effect. So if I had a body that, you know, wasn't stressed, that had a, a high amount of elastin where my connective tissue and my skin elasticity was really high, I might not have expressed the appearance of cellulite as much, but unfortunately that wasn't the case for me. And I don't think that's the case for a lot of women here. So if we want to talk about the distribution of fat and connective tissue, it always comes down to whether you have visceral fat or subcutaneous fat and estrogen and progesterone are the main hormones that are involved with that. Okay. The second thing for why women versus men is of course, hormonal factors. So I already talked about this. So this is really estrogen, but there are also other hormones that play an important role in cellulite development, like insulin, no, no adrenaline and thyroid hormones and prolactin, which are part of the cellulite production process. And this really comes down to whether those subcutaneous fats cells are increasing or deflating. Okay. And as women approach menopause, the levels of estrogen decrease and, but so does blood flow to the connective tissue under the skin. So in pregnancy, in puberty, pregnancy, and menopause is when we really start to see an increased appearance of cellulite. And all these factors are going to make the fat deposits more visible and, and the, what the fat under the skin is going to protrude through, which is going to weaken the connective tissue res resulting in this dimpling effect. Then, which leads me to my next factor, which is age. Okay. So as we age, the presence of cellulite becomes more prominent. And this is all comes down to the elasticity of the skin. So the skin becomes less elastic. We, our blood flow and circulation is a lot less. Our cells are communicating weaker. Our digestion is weaker. And so the connective tissue, the fibrous cord becomes very less fluid and flexible and becomes a little bit more tight and stringent, which is where we get that pulling on the outer layer of the skin and that dimpling effect. Okay. The next thing I want to mention is toxic buildup. And so I've talked about this many, many times before, but when we talk about stubborn weight and specifically 
why fat cells grow and become harder to break down. A lot of this has to do with toxins in the limb system. And so if we are, so first of all, we're exposed to over 2.4 million toxins on a daily basis. Like this is a shocking amount of toxins. Even if you do everything to like take it out of your skincare, your household, even just out in the environment, the pesticides on our food, like there's just so much shit going on around us. And our bodies are still very, very primitive. So our bodies are the same bodies that we had like 300,000 years ago, right? And these are the, in 300,000 years ago, we had like no toxins in the environment. Like chemicals really just didn't exist. It was just like the sun and the moon, right? There's whatever's in our atmosphere naturally. And so we have evolved, like our environment has evolved at such a rapid rate that our bodies have actually not caught up. So when we are exposed to all these toxins on a daily basis, our liver becomes very overwhelmed, which is how we develop a lot of this toxic buildup because everything goes straight. As soon as we're exposed to it through our skin and our respiratory system and the food that we're eating, it goes straight to the liver and the liver's like, oh my God, I have all this shit to do. And so it's going to either like convert it to something less toxic and then put it back in the bloodstream or it's going to store it. The liver can store toxins, but also when it goes back into the bloodstream, if your detox organs are not filtering out quick enough, then all of the toxins are going to travel in the bloodstream and the blood is going to put it somewhere that is going to keep it safe. So we can't just have like all this, all these toxins in the bloodstream. It can travel to your brain, to your heart and make you very sick. And so as a protective mechanism, what the body's going to do is it's going to store it inside of adipose tissue because all toxins are fat soluble right? So they actually need a fat carrier to be excreted, stimulated, utilized, et cetera, or stored. And so you're, you're, all these toxins are traveling in the bloodstream and they're going to go and they're going to be stored inside of adipose tissue, which makes these adipose tissue, these fat cells grow and harder to break down because if it's storing a bunch of toxins, then your body's like, when you go to burn fat, the body's not going to want to break it down because it's the, it's protective, right? It's protecting you to keep it in there. So this is why when I work with people that have a lot of weight to lose, like I'm talking like surplus of 50 pounds, we always work on detox pathways because we can't just go breaking down all that, those fat cells and become very dangerous. And there are people who have lost weight too quickly and actually died. Like this stuff can be really fatal. So it's really important that we work on the liver, work on all the detox pathways as we are losing weight. But this is the toxic buildup is another reason why we may be showing cellulite or maybe why we may be developing the appearance of cellulite because these fat cells are holding on to these toxins, which makes them grow and grow and grow. It makes the body less likely to be able to break them down. The other component to this is if their intracellular fluid is very toxic, then the cells are going to become stringent. So we call it the cell acidosis. So the cellular wall on every single cell, we have this phospholipid bilayer. It's a fat layer. And if the intracellular fluid is really toxic, that fat layer like builds a really, really hard shell almost. So it's like, we don't want to let anything in. We don't want to let anything out. And when that happens, we're not really getting the nutrients that we need to the skin, to that connective tissue cord to make it elastic, right? So everything becomes like really tight and tense and it, and not allowing things in and out. So that's another reason why that skin may not be so elastic. Okay. So with all of that being said, now what the hell can we do? So we definitely want to focus on things that are going to balance estrogen. If you might suspect that estrogen might be an issue. 
And so first and foremost, I would just go get your hormones checked. So in the Mindful Clinic, we offer the Dutch hormone test. It's the most comprehensive outlook, outlook of all of your hormones. So we're testing estrogen, testosterone, progesterone. We're looking at all of the different types of estrogen. So there are three different types. We're looking at how it's excreted. We're looking at your methylation pathways. So we're looking at the HPA axis. So there's so much going on in this Dutch test. We offer in the Mindful Clinic. It's a really, really good way to understand exactly what's happening with your hormones. If you are postpartum, and you're breastfeeding, finish breastfeeding before you test your hormones because breastfeeding is really going to, let's remind ourselves what breastfeeding is, right? So breastfeeding is feeding another baby. So if you have estrogen dominance and you're still breastfeeding, estrogen is going to keep rising because it's like, we're still taking care of another being here, right? Some women, they breastfeed, they lose weight really quickly. That was not the case for me. And it's not the case for a lot of other women out there. So anyways, and that is because we have this estrogen dominant situation, which really means that we're progesterone deficient. Okay. And so you want to get your your hormones checked, you can go the Dutch hormone test route, or you can actually just go and ask your doctor. Just keep in mind that when you go and get the blood test from the doctor, it's not going to give you that comprehensive picture of what is going on with progesterone and all the other hormones. And likely estrogen might come back in that normal range. And then, but then, so the doctors might say there's nothing wrong, but that doesn't mean you're not estrogen dominant. So the Dutch hormone test is a is a urine test, and it is really the best way to have a comprehensive picture of all the hormones, but you can also go to your doctor and see what's up. So you want to test your estrogen levels first and foremost to understand exactly where we are. And then to treat this, we want to work on rebalancing our estrogen. So for everybody who is postpartum, I'm going to do an entire podcast on this. So I'm just, I'm not going to like beat the dead horse here, but we let's focus on some food groups and then some major herbs. So if we're going the herbal route, DIM, D-I-M or Indole-3-Carbinol are really good for balancing out estrogen. If you're going to be taking those supplementary, make sure you're also working on the liver and like also just like huge disclaimer, work with a practitioner because if we're taking DIM and our detox pathways aren't open, you're going to get more toxic. So really just want to just work with a practitioner, work with a professional who can actually help you properly, but we can also do it through food. So the cruciferous vegetables are really good. If you're somebody who has hypothyroidism and you're, you, the cruciferous vegetables should at least be steamed. Don't have them raw because when they're raw, they contain a certain bacteria. It's called a goitrogen and that can affect the way the thyroid functions. So the cruciferous vegetables like cabbage, kale, broccoli, etc. You want to increase more of those in your diet. There are also some seed oils. So pumpkin seeds are really important. And if you're taking a fish oil, that can also help. Flax seeds. So this is called a lignin or a xenoestrogen. And when we include things like lignins in our diet, so soy is another one. They, they're like estrogen mimickers. They're, they actually are going to keep estrogen in balance. Although I wouldn't use soy because it is so genetically modified that it actually adds to the toxic load rather than helps to balance it out. So if we're going to be balancing estrogen, we can look at, you know, different foods. We can look at different supplements, but we want to definitely incorporate these things on a daily basis to help rebalance that estrogen to keep it in its normal range so that we can stop telling the body to like hold on to so much weight. So that's one treatment. The next treatment is working on the elasticity of your skin. So there are a lot of things that we can do for this. One of my favorites is collagen. I actually just started to implement this. And so with collagen, this is something that you'd be taking on a daily basis. 
and it's not an overnight fix. So typically the marine collagen tends to be the best for skin elasticity and marine collagen is really good if you have signs of wrinkles on your skin as well. Because remember it is that it's that tightening versus the looseness of the skin that's creating the dimple effect. So you can take collagen. You can also do a lot of treatments. So acupuncture is a really good one. I'm working with my acupuncturist. Shout out to Stacy. She's on Kerr Street in Oakville. If you're in Oakville, like just hit me up. <laughs> She's amazing. But yeah, so you can work on anything that's going to really bring blood flow to the skin, right? To different areas of the skin. So acupuncture is really good. Lymphatic massage for two reasons, because the massage is going to help to bring back that flexibility of the skin as we're like ironing it out. But it's also the lymphatic massage specifically is going to help to detox. So when we're working on detoxing that lymph system, the intracellular fluid is less toxic and then your cells are going to be less likely to hold on to toxins and become stubborn. So this is really just working on tendon flexibility. Another really good supplement that you can take for cellulite is magnesium. I actually, I don't actually know the specific mechanism here, but I'm assuming it's because magnesium brings the relaxation to everything in your body. So there's the constriction versus relaxation and ma magnesium is required for that like release. And so I remember though reading when I was in school studying at IHN and signs of estrogen dominance was cellulite and the treatment was magnesium. And I have a feeling it has to do with the way magnesium plays into our hormonal balance and detox pathways. So magnesium is a methylator. It's gonna help to detox stuff out and it's gonna help to produce certain hormones. So it's probably gonna work on estrogen balancing. And then we have body rolling. So this is, you know, those rollers that we all hate to do when we have really tight muscles. But that's something that if you have at home, you can just continue to roll it out, roll it out, because it's really gonna allow more blood flow and circulation to the skin, which is gonna feed all of these cells and the tendons and make them more elastic and flexible. Okay, so I hope that that was really helpful for you guys. If you have any questions on reducing this, the signs of cellulite or reducing the appearance of cellulite, definitely hit me up on my socials because I'm all about this right now and I'm applying it to my own life. So I feel like I can help you kind of steer you in the right direction to figure out like which treatment, which supplement might be best for you. And then also I'm taking before and after pictures so we can see some like real life examples, but I completely refuse to believe that it's like not treatable. And I just would like to get to a place with myself and for my clients where it's not as visible. Like I'm, if, it, if a little bit is there, who cares more to love? And that's just how it is as we age. But we definitely want to be in a situation where we feel and look as confident as we possibly can. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. I had so much fun today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe and share it with those who need it. This really truly keeps this information free and available to everybody. And if you have any questions, you can hit me up on Instagram or at Jordana at the mindfulclinic.com. And I will see you on another episode of the head to heel podcast. Bye.